Uh, hey, well, well, I love uh, just this continued journey we are on here in James. And uh, so if you're in a life group, I'd encourage you to grab one of these packets from your life group leader. It uh, just allows you to continue in the discussion. If you're not in a life group and you'd like to have a supplement to your journey through our text, uh, email the office, office at hbclife.com. And uh, it just provides a supplement, a tool, not just this rigid curriculum, but, but an opportunity to supplement our exploration through the study of James, because that's, that's our heart. That's uh, what we are about. You've seen this before, but just our heart to dig into the text, to hear from God through his word, through these biblical authors, and the words that God wrote through James that we believe still carry meaning today. And, uh, and so when I think of sweetness, when I think of sweetness, I think of honey. I just made some banana bread last night with my son uh, and the recipe called for just like a, a half cup of honey. And, and it just brings this sweetness, uh, this flavor. And, and so when I think of words, I think of the sweetness of honey, the intent that these words ought to be sweet, filled with sweetness. And yet, uh, and yet I, I imagine for many of us, if you look back in your history, there might have also been some destructive words that were spoken over you. Words that still, either by your father, your mother, your grandparent, uh, someone on the playground, that still hold weight in your life. And, and those destructive words still come back to bring pain and hurt all these years later. That words actually have a significant weight to them. And, and so as we jump in to this text this morning... James is unpacking in this third part of James, faith works when we speak. And so these words that have potentially been spoken over you in the negative sense still hold weight. And then I don't know what the statistical probability or whatever it is of how many positive words you need to say to negate a negative words, but there's a weight. But as we dig in, I hope you don't hear this as a pop psychology 10 ways to be a better person. Or 10 ways to say better things to people. Instead, what we do around here is we want to hear from God through his word that forms a view and a theology for our lives. That begins to color the way we live. That, that if, if you're not religious, I don't, I don't fully understand why you would want to say positive things other than you just want to say positive things. Here's what I love about the biblical worldview that there's an anchor to why we want to speak truth and life. It's because words are all the way back in the beginning of the story. Where God actually spoke words, what did he say? <laughs> that I am creating them male and female in my image. That God says, let there be life, and he's created man and woman. And then we also see the origin of destructive words. Just a few chapters later where Satan says, did God really say that? And begins using destructive language to tear down the positive words that God was instilling in his creation. That there begins this paradigm of hearing from God through his word, coloring the way we live, and then making real decisions every single day. This, this section of James, faith works in the way we speak. And so I, I hope this graphic is familiar for some of you to some degree. Is, is James isn't just a list of Proverbs. He's not just a New Testament version of Proverbs where he's just picking all these ideas. Instead, 
He's been very deliberate in how he's encouraging those that follow Jesus and how they live. He started, faith works when I'm tested. In the midst of an axle breaking or in the midst of black ice or fog, whatever it might be, God is actually growing your faith to trust him more, whatever the circumstance. And then he moves on and says, faith works when we love. That this idea of who the follower of Jesus is, we step in in radical ways, showing no partiality. Why? Because we believe we are all created in the image of God. Faith works when we love. And then now, James is turning a corner in this third section to begin talking about something so profound that we do every single day. Words create worlds. And how we speak matters. And he says it reflects our faith in the way we speak. Faith works when we speak. Genuine faith inevitably leads to works. And so again, I'm kind of dense. I need to hear the same stuff over and over. Sweet Casey says, David, why can't you just, why can't you just anticipate what I need? I'm like, babe, you just got to tell me. Don't make me guess. Just tell me. So I need to keep seeing the same stuff. This graphic, nothing new, but I'm dense. I need to hear these same ideas over and over. And James has been telling us faith Without works, it's not faith. Faith needs to be accompanied by a demonstration of what you believe. It needs to play out. James is hitting us. He's got about 54 commands in his short little letter of 108 verses. He's just relentlessly hitting with what we ought to be living. Faith without works is no faith. And so so where do evangelicals tend to go? Well, then I better do stuff. I got to start working. I got to start doing stuff. And yet James also says, like Paul, faith plus works is false faith. If we start trying to see our works as a way to earn our standing before God, as if somehow God selected me for his proverbial softball team because of my batting average, if we start adding works, that's not genuine faith. That's actually no faith. Instead, what James has been saying, faith inevitably leads to works. God's God's not opposed to effort, right? Effort's a good thing. He's opposed to earning. Faith plus works, earning our standing, but not opposed to effort, seeing this played out in our everyday experience. And so he's just been hitting us with command after command after command. This is just going to fly over here, but I just feel the need to share them because he's just been hitting us with this. There is joy in the midst of trials, We ask and we seek God's wisdom, God's perspective. He said, standing steadfast in trials is a reflection of our faith. We don't blame God for the circumstances and the temptations. Quick to hear, oh, oh, quick to hear. He's going to pick that up again today. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Anyone practice that when we went through that? Putting away all filthiness, rampant wickedness receiving the implanted word, soaking in this desire to see and hear from God through his word outside the Sunday morning gathering. Doers and hearers of the word, bridle the tongue. Again, he's going to share that. Visit orphans and widows. The the Christian worldview loves justice. We're We're not social justice warriors, but we long for justice, biblical justice to be played out in our everyday circumstances. And, and, and we actually get to bring that in a beautiful way as followers of Jesus. Keeps yourself unstained from the world. Do not show partiality. We love our neighbors as ourselves, and it gets expressed. Because we've experienced mercy, we share mercy. And so, if we think we trust Jesus, this, there's just this weight and this warning that James keeps hitting us with. If we think we trust Jesus, but there are no signs of spiritual life, 
specifically in this part three, in what we say, no matter how much we understand, we really don't trust him. So, you guys ready for this morning? It's just the intro. Buckle up. Here we go. We are ready for a great morning together. And you guys are a lot more, thank you for that, Sandy, a lot more lively than first service. Because it is a competition. Is competition a good thing? I've been told competition is not a good thing. I love a little competition in my life. It's a beautiful thing. I'm like, Casey, which of us can do the dishes faster? <laughs> which of us? Anyway, I should probably, I should be, filter, filter, David, filter. All right, here's the text for this morning. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know, and, and, it's, a, and it's a tough, I think a real applicable section about the tongue, about how we speak, and so we're taking these 12 verses in two weeks. And so we're going to do verse 1 to 5 this week, but I want to read them in its entirety because I think it's one unit of thought, but we want to spread it out just to feel the weight because this feels, in our angry society, this feels so relevant to where we're at today. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. And I, I mean, I love the way even he wraps up this section. Does a spring pour forth water from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Uh, illustrations from their world. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water, period, boom. And then he moves on to another topic. And I'm like, James, I want to hear more. And so we're going to spend two weeks just cultivating what does he have in mind Here's this big idea, I think, this morning. James makes it clear that the words we say and how we say them are works that flow directly from our faith. James makes it clear that the words we say and how we say them are works flowing from our faith. So pray with me uh, as we dig into the text this morning. Uh, Jesus, we want to hear from you. Uh, reveal yourself through your word. Uh, we are blown away by the reality that these words penned by your brother James 2,000 years ago still have relevance for our life. And so help us see and hear from you. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, I was thinking, when you say you're sorry, does that negate, does that negate what just happened? I'm sorry. Yeah, but there's still implications for what you said. And you want to pull those words back into your mouth. And, and yet, those words had power and impact to the person that you spoke them to. Here's the three ideas. Here's our map of where I think James is taking us this morning in the text. Because words are works, we carefully consider whether or not we want to be a teacher. And because words are works, we understand the difficulty and risk in communication. 
And because words are works, we understand the incredible power our words have. So this is where we're starting. Because words are works, we carefully consider whether or not we want to be a teacher. And so James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. And so I, w- I want to start here. I, I think he's, he's narrowing his specific idea of teacher to those who are sharing or directing or connecting something around the word of God. And yet I also want to broaden that to say, man, the sermons you preach in your lives Monday to Saturday, I think are incredible. I think they have an impact. The sermons you preach are far greater than the sermon that happens here. People are watching your life in your Monday to Saturday. You pay attention to how you lead people with your words. Yes, you, because people are watching. They're watching in the way you live, in the way you speak. Faith works when we speak. But he says, not many of you should become teachers. Because I think he's concerned we could want to teach for the wrong reasons. He's concerned about our motives. So he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. In terms of why people do what they do, he says, if there's some kind of ulterior motive in helping people hear from God through his word, that should be a concern for you. I want you to guard against stepping into a teaching role, not that it's any higher, right? I just think, you know, if you ever feel like there's a difference between me and you, there is, there's one. I'm a professional sinner, right? You guys are a bunch of sinners. I just get to be the professional sinner. You're a bunch of non-vocational sinners. I just get to be the professional sinner. All standing under our great shepherd, but not many of you should become teachers, Because there is this sense of what's in your heart? What's behind that? Because I actually think there is a beautiful way the body works. I'm not a priest, right? I get to be one of the body. Not many of you should become teachers because he also says there is this greater openness to judgment. Those who teach open themselves to increased and appropriate scrutiny by themselves, by others, And by God, here's what he says in the text. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So so what kind of judgment is he talking about? And I think our minds immediately go to kind of an eternal end times judgment by God, which I don't think is illegitimate. But I think James has something even broader in mind, that there's a scrutiny by yourself and by others around you. Here's how his brother says it in Mark. And in his teachings, Jesus said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor of feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. That there is a judgment that is happening later for what you talk about and teach concerning the word of God. But I think he's also saying, what I hope we say around here, we want you to be first-handers. We want you to hear from God for yourselves and that you ought to appropriately scrutinize those who are teaching, that you should be watching your kids' directors, your women's ministry leaders, your life group leaders. In the way you teach, there's an appropriate scrutiny that should be placed as you watch people. And I understand there's a, there's a healthy scrutiny that, that, is, that is also taking place in my life, which is good. It's why I say, hey, test this. Every once in a while, I'll say, hey, test this. Wrestle with this with me. And so I just assume this, this is part of how the journey works. I've been telling you guys about my deck, right? 
pretty excited about my deck, Tom, right? I, I just think and love this thing. I feel so proud of myself for building this. Never done anything like this in my life. But we had leftover parts. And um, oh, intentionally, inten- you're like, did you forget to screw something? <laughs> intentionally, we decided not to build the rail. Railing around it, I'm like, man, this feels like it's more open. So we have, we have leftover parts, and we decided we're going to bring them back to Menards for, for a refund. And so, you know, I'm like, man, I'm doing, I'm doing our family a favor here. I'm going to get a refund on some pieces. And so what do I start doing? I start loading the van with leftover boards, right? And I start stacking them up. And, you know, so we have a minivan, put the seats down. And all of a sudden, I get to the very end, and I have about a quarter inch left at the very end of the van. Well, what do you do when you have a quarter inch left? You just shove the thing. You just close it and you slam it so you can get that last quarter inch. So what did I do? I slammed the door and out the window it went. So, so I'm, I'm just dejected at this point, right? I, I'm sitting, you know, Casey can hear, boom, right? So I'm in the garage and I'm just beating myself up a little bit, feeling a little dejected and sweet Casey, right? Sweet Casey walks in and you know, that look of forgiveness and grace is in her eyes, and, and she's like, you know, it's, it's all good, right? It, it's, it's, just, it's just the window, and so essentially the money that we would have made on the refund now gets to pay for the deductible of the window, and so it's like, well, all right, you know, Casey's gracious and forgiveness uh, showers over me in that moment, and, and then I walk in the house, and then what do I see? One of my kids had just spilled water all over the counter. So what do I do? I just got after him. I started yelling at him, what are you doing? Spilling water all over the place. And then there's sweet Casey just looking at me, just looking at me with grace and forgiveness in her eyes, thinking about the the window that I just shattered, right? And, And so there's this scrutiny that I think is helpful. Not all of us should become teachers. And simultaneously, just assessing, and you guys get to be a part of the journey that's being played out in my life as well. Because words are works, we carefully consider whether or not we should be a teacher. As people evaluate our lives and the places and spheres we run in, as you lead others, people are watching. And because words are works, we also understand the difficulty and risk in communication. That here is what James is going to tell us, that there's actually difficulty and risk in this thing called communication. Here's what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. You catch what he's saying there? That, that of all the things in this life, there's, there's brokenness all over. We all stumble in many ways, this brokenness that manifests itself all over the place. Right, Tom? all over the place. There's this hurt and brokenness that is pervasive in our life. And if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, what does he say about that guy? If someone's able to actually control the way they talk to the people around them, what does he say about that guy? He's perfect. But what do we actually know? He's, he's, there's no way to control this thing. You guys ever exercise? Does it ever feel like the muscles as you exercise grow tired? And yet there's one muscle in the body that doesn't seem to have any problem continuing, right? This tongue just has so much power over the way we live. And there's a great risk in how we communicate. And so 
uh, you could make your own list in conversations with the staff, with the elders, with some ministry leaders. Here's just a few things of, of ways communication gets us in trouble. Gossip, lying, anger, cursing, defaming somebody, name-calling your spouse or someone in the workplace. And for you guys that think just because you're not saying something doesn't mean you're not communicating, we understand. We understand. You know, just because you say, well, I'm an Enneagram 8, it's okay, it's just who I am, right? means you get to say whatever you want, just like you heard about, just because I'm an introvert. It's just what I do. I can't. No, we're saying there's just this way that the tongue manifests itself and brokenness in our lives. Here's just a few. Nonverbal is still a communication tactic. Sharing inaccurate views of God, excusing someone's behavior and letting it go without actually stepping in, false humility, and just being flippant. So I'm going to put one up on the board here. We could do this for all of them, but I'm just going to pick one because it reminds me of my time back in Kosovo. We Americans, we just love talking about anything at any time immediately. When I was in Kosovo, there was, there was this appropriate transparency and yet a high degree of confidentiality that it took months before these, these people they were sharing life with were willing to share a little bit of their life. In our country, what feels like our tendency? Man, everybody wants to know everything all the time. And so how do we navigate appropriate transparency and appropriate confidentiality when it's used wrongly I think it turns into oversharing or maybe gossip. And on the other side, inappropriately, you undershare and become so secretive and isolated from those around you. So what would it look like? The difficulty and risk of communication of how do you navigate the appropriate level of transparency and the appropriate level of confidentiality with those around you? James says faith works when we speak. And so our faith is at work in the layers of how do we talk to our spouse, our coworkers, our kids? And we navigate this line of transparency and confidentiality. But we begin oversharing and you start talking about someone else. I remember sitting at a Starbucks and there was a group of people gathering. And, uh, and they happened to be being very transparent about someone who wasn't in that space. And then someone from that group left. Anyone want to take a guess where the conversation shifted? They began sharing about that individual. And so how do you navigate where it doesn't drip into gossip but stays in a healthy layer of transparency about your life or those around you? James says, because words are works, we are careful to consider whether we want to be a teacher or not. And because words are works, we understand the difficulty and risk in every conversation because words carry this meaning. These wounds that maybe we are still carrying from a childhood conversation or words spoken over by a father or a mother or a grandparent that still wound us even at the thought of them when we're still carrying words carry weight. Because words are works, we understand the incredible power our words can have. Here's what James says in the text. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And yet that's just to magnify the intensity of what the tongue 
can do. And he gives two illustrations now. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they're driven by strong winds. So I just pulled this picture of, of an ancient first century Roman cargo ship. And, and, and to give a, a, a perspective, right, of the proportionality, these aren't just small fishing ships. 70, 300, 400 tons of grain could be moved in these things with many people operating them. And James is trying to think of the largest thing in his culture to give some proportionality to what is going on with this thing called the tongue. And he thinks of a ship guided by a small rudder. And the impact of that small rudder on the direction of a ship. So also a horse. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. You ever seen just a runaway horse? Or at a rodeo, these wild bucking horses and the strength these animals possess? And yet I think of what a trained horse with a bit in its mouth looked like. I remember uh, my two daughters did an equestrian class, and I go to watch their final, and I watch my little five-year-old sit on this massive animal, and they're like, look, Daddy, as she parades this horse, I'm like, she can't even sit on the thing, right? She can't, she can't even, like, straddle, she can't sit on there, and yet she's parading this massive animal around a corral. This small thing called the bit has a massive implication. Paul is saying, how do we see that our words carry so much power? So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The proportionality of this small part has a big impact. That words spoken over us or to us begin to have an effect. And so here's where I want to transition as we land this morning. I want to look at a few implications for our life. And then I want to sit in about 10 different ideas of where we might examine our lives when it comes to faith working as we speak. So, our words reveal who we are. Feels like there's this massive gap between my head and my heart, right? Ugh! The understanding of what I believe and hitting my heart feels so massive, and yet what feels like the shortest distance in this life? From my heart to my mouth of what I have in my heart inevitably comes out of my mouth and our words begin to shape our destinies. That what we believe to be true, these words create worlds of what was spoken over us that maybe we still carry all these years later. So here's, here's where I'd encourage us as we go. Our words can seem insignificant but their impact is far greater than we recognize. Who has used words to bring life to you? Who's someone that you can think back that actually spoke meaningful ideas over you? I was in sales uh, recently after college, and I can still remember one of my uh, bosses that spoke positive ideas into my work ethic, and still I can remember it as it's yesterday. The power that those words meant. Not all of us should be teachers. What role has God put you in that you're speaking life to those that you interact with every single day? And also, our words far too often do major damage and are rooted in evil. Who has used words destructively in your life that maybe you're still 
buying into that someone that maybe you have used words destructively to. And you need to hear that it isn't their words that actually hold sway, but actually God's words that you are a child of his or a son and daughter. That, that maybe even the language of God as father still is hard for you to grab onto because of some destructive language your father spoke to you. What are those words that maybe still are clinging to your soul that, that you can release and say, God, I want to hear your words wash over me. Our words are a consistent expression of our faith in God. How we speak reflects what we believe. So, so I'm going to invite Terry up to, to just play behind us, but I want to walk through and examine about 10 ideas. And these aren't original to me. Uh, it comes from my previous lead pastor back in California. His name was Todd Chapman. And, and I appreciated Todd's influence in my life. And he's so thoughtful when it comes to navigating some of these ideas. So he listed about 10 different ideas and the way it might be manifested in a negative way. And so I, I just want to walk through these one-on-one -on -one and have us. Sometimes we rush through these ideas and we have information that floods our head, but we never let it begin to, to marinate into our hearts. So I just want to take a few minutes and walk through these, that there might be one that God is working in your heart of what faith leading to our words is taking place in your life. And so just first... Lying versus truthful. That, that, that when you speak, are you constructing a reality that is actually a lie? Are, are you not actually speaking words that are accurate to life? How might you begin to speak with more truth in the way you go in your Monday to Saturday? And speak with more truthfulness and create an accurate picture of the way life is. Maybe not exactly the way you'd want it, but it's truthful. Misstating versus regulating. You know, do you, do you add extra details to your sentences and your words? Do, do you misstate inaccuracies or over embellish? What would it look like to just regulate some of the way you speak about different ideas? Gossiping versus calibrating. Do you talk negatively like that group of people about the person that just left your conversation? Do you begin to demean them and talk about their liabilities and gossip about them behind their back? Or is there a calibrating to which you are trying to produce health and healing for people that you encounter in the midst of whatever hurts they may be dealing with. Do you gossip about them or are you actually calibrating and bringing healing? Do you curse? Is, is there just a vulgarity that permeates your words that, that at the drop of a hat, there's just cursing and vulgarity that just spews out of you? James is going to tell us next week that salt and fresh water can't coexist. Instead, do our words reflect a heart to glorify God in the way we speak? both about him, to him, and with those around us. Swearing. <laughs> Do we feel like we got to put an emphasis to, to, to punctuate what, what we're talking about? In the, and the biggest words we can come up with are, are linked to these just certain vocabularies. Can we still bring the same passion and punctuate our ideas just choosing a different vocabulary?
in the way we engage ideas that we get excited about, does it lead just to a negative expression or is there a way to punctuate ideas? Name-calling versus being appropriately figurative. Do we say when we speak about others, you remind me of a blank? (laughs) Or can we use more positive figurative illustrations to build people up knowing that they also are made in the image of God That rather than you are like a blank, we would start instead saying you are like a fill in the blank. Omitting versus speaking up. It's not in the exclusively in the aggressive way we communicate to people, but it's also sometimes in what we choose not to communicate. That we omit certain things. That we, we hold back from communicating certain ideas. You don't actually share all the truth. Instead, you omit what might it look like for you to find confidence in your voice and speak more of what you believe to be true. Rather than holding back or omitting, what would it look like to actually speak up in a healthy, productive, meaningful way? Nagging? Where you're constantly saying, how could you have forgotten blank again? And again. And again, how do you keep forgetting this? And you start nagging and belittling someone versus a healthy reminder of we understand where we'd like to be. How can I remind you in a positive way that there's something I'd like to see happen in our lives? And comparing versus encouraging. Where I start saying, why aren't you more like blank? (laughs) Or why don't you do more of this like blank? And I start comparing you versus the encouragement of there's still comparison happening, but in a healthy way, we could be more in a positive sense with encouragement of where we'd like to be. Are we nagging or are we reminding? Are we comparing or are we encouraging? Faith works when we speak in the way we speak to those around us. And do we hide behind veiled accusations under the guise of humor? Or do we candidly confront about issues we care about? Do we hide behind humor and say, I was just kidding. When actuality, you weren't. And you're hiding behind these veiled accusations rather than appropriately and candidly confronting. Faith works when we speak. And so, as fathers... Your words, it seems, carry significant meaning. How you speak to those around you, how you speak to your kids, have significant implications. Moms, women, it's the way you speak to your husband and about your husband to others has a significant impact. Faith works when we speak. Do we believe we're speaking in a positive, meaningful way? Not as pop psychology, but because back in Genesis 1, God said we are all created in His image. In the workplace and how we speak about those around us, are we condemning and belittling or are we building up? And then as kids, because we're all kids. Maybe your parents are still with us. Maybe your parents are no longer with us. As kids, do we just say, ah, 
Mom will understand. Well, that's just mom. Or do we actually say we want to honor our mother and father in the way we speak about them and to them? And maybe it is these wounds that are still carried over from something your father said and makes it hard to hear the words of what Jesus said, our father who art in heaven, and yet we want to hear his words that he speaks to us that we, through faith, are his children and we get to live in that security. So pray with me as we, uh, as we invite the worship team to lead us in song. God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. For the words that you've spoken over us that we want to find greater security and confidence in. And, and the words we say to others or about others help us continually see our faith reflected in what we say. Faith works when we speak. Thank you, Jesus. For your glory, we pray. Amen.